Hey, let's get chives up here. Uh, oh god, I need to get some links. Um, let's get some links for this nest. How are you doing, Vivek? Oh, I'm good. It's been a, a tiring week, even though we're only halfway through. I'm really hoping it just quietens down soon, but at the same time, I really like money, so I'm going to keep working. <laughs> uh, but how are you doing? Well, a, a bit of a shorter work week for me over in America uh, with Thanksgiving happening tomorrow. So that part's been nice. But other than that, work, as you said, greases the wheels. We got to keep going. Got to pay them bills. Well, it'll be a reprieve from that, you know, while we continue on our uh, journey through history today. Uh, I think this is kind of the, the last we have planned in our themed episodes on the development of the market. Uh, but we'll certainly do touching on specific other things in the future. Uh, while you're grabbing the nest, you know, I, I uh, just want to start by saying welcome to Taking Stock this week. Uh, we're so excited to kind of talk about how the DTC impacts the issuers in the market, how the process works for them and what choices they have, what choices they don't have when it comes to um, operating there. You know, last week we went up to 1973 when the DTC got started. So we're kind of continuing on from there now. Um, before that, as far as updates go, uh, we're still just chugging right along with the, um, with the investor relations database, uh, right about 51% complete in there and we're going to be moving on to start working on other sections of the database soon uh, i've got my eye on the transfer agents uh fleshing that out getting all sorts of contact information and compliance information for uh, the other hundred or so transfer agents in the market we do have the major ones already covered but we'd love to strive for completion so that's gonna be exciting for sure i think um it sounds like a lot of the bigger companies and more popular companies have been covered. It's not like a strict A to Z 50%. It's not like cut halfway around. Oh, yeah, or that's, that's correct. Yeah. I mean, we, we have made sure that as far as the, let's say the, the top 500 or so um, most, uh, what's the best word for it? The ones that are bought or sold the most, we have that information. So more than likely, an investor who's just curious about a given stock uh, will probably have the information on there. The ones we're missing are smaller companies, more niche companies that are just going to have less, you know, a less uh, lesser body of investors that are curious about this. Yeah, and because of that, less less resources online to kind of look up and and find these contacts uh, with. But yeah, getting the transfer agents done next is is going to be great and. Uh, I'm looking forward to to finishing up with the broker contact information uh, that I've been filling out as well. Uh, and then hopefully with that, we can uh, loop back around with, with our um, uh, database slash coding friend. And uh, they'll be able to hopefully stitch it all together into the new broker guide builder that will generate a guide based on any US stock and any broker around the world that you want to directly register and I think the way that we're building this now, hopefully down the line, probably way down the line at this rate, but we'll be able to expand that to other territories, other markets. Um, like I, I've seen there's a lot of interest in uh, some Australian uh, companies and things like that. So they, they have a very interesting holding uh, structure. So it will be really interesting to to get that all added and help flesh out our own uh, wealth of knowledge on on this topic but yeah i think that's that's more or less it for for updates i don't have much to offer from my side other than i've been playing a bit more cyberpunk on the dlc and good god oh it's a beautiful beautiful world they've built there uh like the the new dlc area they've taken the design of the rest of the city and kind of condensed it all down so it's like a really uh refined reduced like a like a good deglazing of a pan after you've cooked a steak in it. It's just like, Mwah. but that's what I've been doing in, in like the odd hour or two I have uh, on the weekends. Well, you um, gotta, you gotta be able to stay sane, you know, take some time, play some games. 
Absolutely. Got to have something. But anyway, enough waffling about random stuff. We're, we're here to talk about taking stock and uh, direct registration, taking our stocks back in our names. So, um, yeah, what a transition, right? From talking about <laughs> one dystopian uh, fictional society to a semi dystopian uh, actual society, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, depending who you ask, we're, it's already pretty dystopian. <laughs> yeah, granted, granted. Well, what we wanted to do, uh, I, I think, in the in the nest now, and certainly in the show notes, uh, we have a link to a couple other articles over on YDRS that we have up. And we're going to be picking up here from the history of DRS and book entry holding article, which is going to pick up from roughly 1973 when the uh, DTC came together. That for those of us that you know listened to last, uh oh. <laughs> Uh, I, I believe Charles was going to say, um, if if you're listening, oh, is that Charles back? Do I keep cutting in and out? You you cut out pretty hard just then. Before it was all good, um, but you were you were just about to tell us uh, what happened, what we were talking about last week. Oh sure, yeah. Sorry about that. Maybe my connection's a little spotty today. We'll try to touch it up uh, later, but. So last week we had kind of discussed the conditions in the in the broader market in terms of you know paper certificates, crazy glut in the system, uh, long settlement times, and uh, fraud and theft that were major going on that were the inciting reason for founding the DTC. That's uh, the depository trust, a central place for all the certificates to hang out, and uh, that was when that was going to streamline the process. Um, so long story short. You know, that was the inciting incident, this major paperwork crisis, and led us to have this uh, single body as an effort to just streamline the whole system. And, you know, for the most part, that's been fairly successful, but it wasn't just enough to put all these certificates into a giant building and operate on computers from there. Because even then, there end up being other uh, other problems that uh, were identified, and we're going to kind of get into those here. Um, so one thing that the DTC would uh, talk about, and we have some citations in that article was there were some additional, like you have to have a building, which means you have to maintain the access to it, maintain a certain level of humidity, you know, maintain like, uh, guarding the area, making sure that you don't have any fires. There's a lot of, um, a lot of expense that goes into, keeping these certificates in you know, working condition over a long period of time so that if they did need to be accessed, um, then you would have some a way to do that instead of needing to go through the costly effort of replacing them, which would involve, you know, reaching out to the issuer, their transfer agent, figuring out. That's another hard cut. <laughs> Normally it, it peters in and out, but uh, I guess um, Chives' internet provider is not happy about all this all this DTC talk. Um, but uh, let me see if I can pick up. Oh, Chives, you're back. Am I back? <laughs> yes, I can hear you. Uh, uh, I I do not know what is going on with the internet today. <laughs> yeah, it was weird again. It just like hard cut, uh, just cut out, but. Um, I was just digging oh. out links, uh, so I wasn't quite sure where to pick up from. So I'm, I'm glad you're well, back. Yeah, I guess we're just, you know, anyway, kind of speaking broadly here, um, and I'm sorry for the touch and go nature of the conversation, but essentially um, the DTC started to look into, in the mid-1970s, a process which they started to call immobilization, but then moved to the, new, to the term dematerialization. Uh, and this process would kind of lead their uh, policies throughout the following decades and even up until today. So dematerialization is this process with the end goal of all part of all the paper certificates eventually no longer being relevant in the market and all certificates being instead represented electronically uh, through what would be called book entry. Um, that's still the term that's used today for all electronic shares in any part of the market. So 
that was kind of the initial idea. Because um, remember, the ultimate goal of the DTC, they wanted to make sure to have secure, fast settlement. They wanted to make sure to provide market liquidity. Those were kind of the, the main issues that we saw with the certificate era, where the complications involved in moving these certificates around was just slowing down trade. Uh, it was causing a lot of problems. And so they wanted to be able to address these different things. But that was making it more difficult for investors who wanted to engage with the older system of share certificates in order to successfully do so. God damn, they got him again. Um, so one thing uh, I've put up in the nest here is uh, is a link to uh, Suzanne Trimbath's, doc- uh, Dr. Trimbath's uh, interview with No Safe Bets. Uh, and it's about the origins of the direct registration system. And it kind of dives into a bit more of a uh, complete connect- like story of... Um, how we went from that kind of early 1970s era into uh, when DRS and direct, well, the DRS itself was introduced. Um, uh, I'm just trying to pick up from where Chives left off, but I think we're jumping a bit all over the articles. I think you're back now, Chives. Yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah, I I wanted to set the stage there, but well, because this is happening, let's go quite quite literally in, in order. Um, with that history of DRS article, you know, we, and as Viv uh, mentioned, some great other listening is uh, Trimbath's appearance on that No Safe Best podcast. Really great uh, article there. I think there's a transcript on that same link. So that, you know, if you want to read, that's better too. Um, so the dematerialization was an early goal and they were kind of formulating how they wanted to approach it. In 1986, uh, a plan for direct and individual book entry registration uh, would eventually come to be known under the name direct registration system. Um, That would be the name that initially stuck uh, when the uh, Government Securities Act was passed. And so you can learn more about the conversations that went into developing that name, what some of the other options were, if you listen to Trimbath's appearance there. Um, So moving forward from there in 1991... Now, transfer agents started to see that immobilization or the dematerialization was having an effect on their business um, because they were no longer involved in uh, sending out certificates on behalf of the issuer. That was used to be something they could charge fees for. It used to be something that they would include as part of their uh, package when they were advertising to new client issuers that wanted to use their services. But if the certificates were no longer being offered as often. Um, If issuers were finding it uh, easier to operate within this central depository system, they didn't need those services anymore. And so there started to be some stress there between the different elements of the system. Um, In 93, to further get around this, some issuers started... I I can actually pick up where Charles got cut off then. Um, So, yeah, in 1993, uh, some issues started using a a version of direct registration to sell shares directly to retail investors. Um, These were the earliest direct stock purchase plans uh, recorded. Um, So this uh, really only kicked off in the the early 90s, um, maybe within most of our lifetimes. which is quite something considering as well. Um, this is something from the origin story of the DRS, the, the Dr. Trimbath interview with no safe bets. Um, she brings up in, in 1971, there was a, a group called the banking and securities industry committee or the acronym basic. So uh, the, these basic bankers uh, got together uh, and argued against creating something called a transfer agent depository, which would have given us direct registration back in 1971. But instead, we were given the depository trust company uh, as a central securities, uh, and we got the central securities depositories, the national depository system. Um, so, yeah, it, it's the kind of the, the TAD, the transfer agent depository, is the earliest known reference to direct registration. 
which is crazy when you think about it. We've had this uh, market, well, we've had Wall Street and everything like that, all, all the exchanges, we've had them for near, like about 100 years now. Um, I can't remember when the East Dutch India company was uh, the first IPO'd company, but yeah, 100 years and only in the 1970s, they were like, oh, maybe we can actually let people own their shares, uh, but without fiddling around with certificates. Um and then, yeah, they were like, nah. And uh, there was kind of no more talk about direct registration for about uh, 10 years. Um, and it kind of surfaced again in the late 80s. Um, Morgan Stanley called something a shareholder plus program for issuers, where Morgan, for the companies that they were uh, transfer agent for, was going to try and put together this direct registration system. But guess what? That went nowhere. So... Uh, uh, they probably realised they could make more money else uh, in, in other forms of uh, transferring and holding stocks. Um, and then that brings us up to the uh, 1991 and 1993 um, dates, uh, which we have in the YDRS uh, article. Um, and finally, in 93, they started offering direct stock purchase programmes. Um, and, uh, and then... It was in 2008, uh, that memorable year for the markets. Uh, the DTC, uh, DTCC mandated that all U.S. equities must be DRS eligible. Uh, at this time, established uh, issuers were still allowed to continue printing paper certificates. However, all newly registering issuers would be electronic or statement only. Um so it was a pretty aggressive move towards uh, dematerialization uh, starting, uh, what's that, 15 years ago now. Um, and I mean, really, as Charles was saying earlier, the DTC, their earlier, um, or their, one of their early mandates was to dematerialize everything uh, and digitize. So um, they really put their foot down in 2008. Uh, and then uh, in 2012, the the, NAS, the NASDAQ uh, began requiring all of their listed companies to have direct registration as an option, uh, which is fantastic. And I think that the, the NICE should, uh, the, the New York Stock Exchange should do the same, really, um, because not all uh, DTC eligible companies offer DRS. Sometimes you have to use something. Um, called DWAC, I believe. Maybe Chives can correct me if I'm wrong on that. Um, and uh, that will allow you to directly register in your name, but without having to use the DRS system to transfer the shares. I think that's that is, right. That is right. Yeah, DWAC is an alternative. I don't want to go on it for too long, so I don't know if I'll cut out again. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll jump in if, if and when you do. <laughs> <laughs> that's well that's definitely something that i i'm still learning more about um but from what i can tell it's kind of like a uh, almost like a pre or alternative to drs where um it also can work to move certificates around as well and requires some additional uh, signatory guarantees like a medallion stamp in a lot of cases uh but other than that uses a lot of the same systems and infrastructure that drs does uh, but that's kind of the primary difference. And it seems as though um, I don't think we've come across yet a company that couldn't do DWAC. Um, but again, we're going to do a, a spotlight episode on that once we've got more information about it. We're excited to do that down the line. Sorry, I'm just multitasking. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it, it's interesting. Like, I mean, after all this time, we've we've spent two years talking about DRS and and how everyone should be able to DRS. And it turns out, actually, for some companies, the only way to directly register is to go through this alternate route, which is DWAC. Uh, and yeah, as Charles says, we'll we'll go into it more in a future episode because we are getting a real mix of responses from the same brokers about DWAC. They they will DWAC one stock fine and then another stock, they'll be like, ah, you need a medallion signature. And then you talk to them the next day and they're like, actually, no, no, you don't need a medallion signature. Fill this form out. And then 
a week later, they're like, oh, actually, no, you do need the medallion signature. So we're dealing with people who don't know what they're doing, uh, to put it uh, crudely. But, um, you know, what's new? Um, we don't well, know what we're it's doing. Like a, it's a super niche uh, system that, uh, you know, doesn't seem like it's been used very much. I mean, it's like the the niche alternative to DRS, which is already fairly niche, right, for investors. So. Uh, that's that's been the experience uh, that you know we've seen from folks in our uh, in our circle that are trying to research this. But maybe these Fidelity or or uh, TD Ameritrade or whoever interns they'd never heard of it before. They've got to go to their supervisor, dig out, blow some dust off of a how-to book, probably. So we're working it out. Yeah, someone's got to pave the way. After all. Um... And like this is um, one of the brokers been handling it is Fidelity, and you'd think they'd have the most uh, experience out of any broker. They're so popular, especially amongst people who like to directly register their shares. Um, but it's it reminds me a lot of uh, the the process I went through trying to explain to my brokers in England what direct registration was and how DRS transfer. Um, and why they should initiate it and not the receiving institution. And, oh, God, I don't miss that. But, uh, yeah, I, I've got so much appreciation for anyone with the patience to to see that through. Um, so, anyway, back to our, our timeline. Um, we were in, in 2012 when the NASDAQ began requiring all of their companies to have direct registration as an option. Um so that that was a pretty big thing at the time. Not much really happened with DRS since then, I don't think. But uh, well, since for for about five years after then. But then uh, in uh, 2017, uh, the DTCC was able to leverage the success of book entry, uh, aka electronic holdings, to transition into a T plus two settlement window, uh, which is crazy. Like something we all take for granted today. But it was only six years ago that, that it got introduced. Um, and you'd think really in an in electronic environment, it would be a bit quicker than that. But uh, yeah, um, in 2021, they proposed shortening it into T plus one. I think the SEC and Gary Gensler were was kind of pushing for something similar uh, or even T plus zero. Um because uh, they got to compete against crypto somehow, which which will literally settle within a day. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, like book entry, aka electronically recorded uh, securities, are representing a larger and large proportion of the market. Um, considering, I think most certificates that people own probably given to them by their grandparents. Uh, and might even be for a defunct company with a defunct uh, transfer agent. Um, we had someone contact us actually um, directly uh, through the website email asking for information uh, about a company uh, that they had the stock issued back in the 1970s and they were trying to track down the uh, uh, kind of transfer agent they could uh, talk to about it. It's like, wow, good luck because... <laughs> In that time, the amount of transfer agents in America has dropped quite a lot. Um, I mean, there's still there are still quite a lot of them, especially when you consider a company can be their own transfer agent. Uh, many opt not to because it's the same way many people don't do their own taxes. They pay someone else to do it. It's, it's complicated um, and it's a whole skill set that you have to learn. So, um, But I think with what we were talking to um, John Wooten last week, the the guy who uh, from block transfer uh the the web3 transfer agent it looks like they'll be able to develop all sorts of stuff that will integrate into app-based uh processes where you can submit all your filings or uh do this um kind of act as your own transfer agent much much easier um anyway <laughs> back to the timeline i i'm uh, I'm always good for a tangent. Uh, I well, just to, I guess just to hop on that tangent real quick, if if you can hear me. But the uh, <laughs> with John and block transfer, it, it does. Well, he was telling us a bit, and I'm excited to learn more about how they're going to have these um, programs to make the uh, export of all the data required for filings that are you know required for issuers through the SEC stuff like 
10 Qs, 10 Ks, all of these sorts of things, um, that'll all be easier and cheaper. But I don't think he's going to be encouraging folks to be their own transfer agent because remember, he's representing an SEC approved transfer agent himself. So I, I think he's trying to get them to become clients of his, undercutting the costs presented by other established transfer agents because his uh, blockchain protocol is going to allow for easier export of data than their systems. And that's um, coming ahead a bit on that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, my my wording was not accurate for sure. Um, I think like it is kind of handing the tool, tools to the people. It's teaching the man to fish instead of uh, giving him a fish, I guess. Uh, but still being within working with, through them as a transfer agent. But it yeah, wouldn't I mean, surprise I, me. I if... think they'll be able to, exactly, you get a lot more of the data. I mean, the, the blockchain information there would be ready to, ready to grab any time. Hopefully just a couple clicks in a dashboard, but who knows, really? I'm looking forward to learn more about that. We'll have him on, on uh, December the 13th, and that'll be the end of this time. <laughs> yeah, looking looking forward to that episode. We're going to get into it pretty hard. We, we were very curious about him when he joined us, and, and everything we heard last week uh, gave us a lot of confidence. So we're excited to really dive in with him, dive deep. Um, but yeah, um, Think back to the article. Uh, I've just been skimming over some bits, and I think mostly that is kind of uh, the history covered. Um, I think there might be some. Well, we didn't actually dive into the SEC ruling, uh, which I believe was in '94, uh, which was about how issuers cannot force their investors to directly register register their shares um i think you're thinking of um that that one is in 2004 um, yeah and uh, we do have a big breakdown of that actually in the other article that's in the in the nest there uh called issuers in the dtcc um and that's definitely the the next big thing that we wanted to kind of talk about here um I know that I'm cutting in and out, though. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm just grabbing that link now. I just realized I've put some other links in relevant to that first article about the history of everything. Um, and there we go. That's the other article. Not quite in the nest yet. This Twitter takes so long when you want it to be fast, just like any technology. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, I think just at the bottom of uh, that first article, though, uh, I think this. Yeah, we have a, a kind of a separate, uh, just mentioned on the bottom of the first article there, for folks mm. that are kind of curious to look in to the, uh, uh, what the, the SEC's perspective is on these different things. You know, they have to operate under, the SEC has to operate under a mandate from Congress, um, you know, to seek prompt settlement, um, you know, quote, Congress made findings that the prompt and accurate clearance and settlement of securities transactions, including the transfer of registered ownership and safeguarding of securities and funds related to clearance and settlement activities, are necessary for the protection of investors. God damn, it won't even let me finish the quote. Um, I'll just pick that up. Are, are necessary for the protection of investors and those acting on behalf of investors. So we almost got there. Um <laughs> And um, yeah, like like we've been talking a lot about the DTCC and the DTC um, and and settlement times and things like that. And it may not immediately seem obvious how that's related uh, back to DRS, but within the electronic system of DRS, all of this kind of stuff is um, oh, enabled. That's the word uh, as well. Um, because it's electronic, because it's dealing directly with the transfer agent, you're not having to go through uh, seed and then the transfer agent kind of T plus one sh and, or even T plus zero should very much be possible, uh, especially when if you're dealing with a transfer agent that has a um, plan, um, a stock purchase plan, they normally use those plans to affect even more efficient settlement by having some a small portion, 10 to 20% typically, uh, at least we know in, in computer shares instance uh, that they keep with the DTC to, to allow that instant kind of 
sales or purchases uh, without kind of having to touch anything that's locked away with your book shares. Your, um, and by book, I mean DRS holdings. Um, they're referred to as book when you look at your transfer agent portfolio uh, and, and people like to refer to it as book online. But uh, really, it's just DRS holdings. Um, anyway, uh, so, yeah. Uh, I think that that covers the history quite nicely. Uh, and now we can get into what we came here for, uh, the kind of choice without a choice, the the fact that we've all kind of been sold into using brokers. Uh, like if you want to invest, you have to use a broker. Um, I mean, that's even the case when you're going through a transfer agent. Um, but at no point does anyone mention oh, you can directly register if you want, or, oh, you can buy them directly through the company's transfer agent and hold them on their books instead of with a broker. Uh, like, we know a lot of people that have never once heard of direct registration before, uh, let alone DRS. Um, so it's uh, kind of, yeah, the, the, the SEC likes to promote it and say, oh, it's a choice, here are your options but nobody else presents you these options. The SEC certainly isn't coming into every brokerage and going, right, you need to tell everyone about who's their transfer agent when they buy the stock and if they want to DRS, here's how you can do it. Uh, it's it's a very secretive and restricted uh, aspect of the market, and that's why we'll, we're so determined to try and educate everyone about it. Um, and I kind of, hopefully I can just have a couple sentences to um illuminate I, I think a bit why that is so as we kind of mentioned with that quote from congress um both of us mentioned uh, the focus is on settlement and on liquidity which electronic shares held through book entry is the best option for that you, know, you have the quickest settlement you have the most access to shares because of that settlement so but the sec and the dtc are both interested in that and of course direct registration you know, they also want to be able to provide the option for investors to hold through it. But any shares that are held through there, they're not going to be helping out in terms of um, other access to liquidity, things like that. So I think it's just a quick distinction. You know, I think it's clear these market participants all are interested in book entry. They all wanted things to be recorded electronically for quick uh, access, but then not necessarily for, um, you know, not necessarily DRS. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, to get started on this uh, article. Um, so if like companies, just to zoom all the way out, companies who want to list on an exchange and become a publicly traded company must be DTC uh, eligible. And there are certain requirements they have to meet uh, in order to be uh, eligible and maintain that eligibility. Uh, in fact, uh, we have some anecdotal evidence of uh, the DTC or the DTCC threatening eligibility uh, to a transfer agent um, simply because they hired Dr. Trimbath. Um, so the the bars are set and then they kind of change the goalposts as and when they, they feel the need to, uh, I guess, threaten people into doing what they want. Um, but yeah, the, the so... Just to clarify, we've been saying the DTC and the DTCC a lot. Uh, they like to make it confusing. The DTC, uh, the Depository Trust Company, is a subsidiary of the DTCC. Um, and it's a self-regulatory organization, uh, which sounds very official, but it basically means um, there's nobody above them. They, they track what they do and any mistakes they make and hold themselves accountable for it, which doesn't sound right for abuse at all uh slash s in case nobody's picking up on the sarcasm um and um yeah uh so an issuer issuer needs to seek eligibility status through the dtc's guidelines um only dtc partners can lobby for individual securities to be made eligible so issuers first need to find a broker partner to work with uh and sponsor them in the process uh, the DTC is able to provide benefits starting from the underwriting process using the centralized depository seed and co or CD and co. Um, I know like for, for the sake of our um, title for, for this episode, we use seed as the name, but uh, I've also had a lot of industry 
professionals refer to it as CD because of the way that the name breaks down to central depository. Uh, and I think that's a, a great way to refer to them because they are seedy as hell. Um, so, uh, yeah, using the centralized depository C CD and co um, to maintain uh, custody of securities and transferring holdings using uh, electronic accounts. Um, the DTCC further claims their program eliminates the risk of a missed election on, cor on a corporate action or a missed dividend payment. Um, which I kind of, I'd have a bone to pick with that because quite frankly, we, we've all know of and have been talking about all on all our previous week's episodes, uh, about how votes are truncated, they're trimmed, but usually by, uh, the broker first and then by a company such as Broadridge who, who manages, uh, the proxy voting process. And then it gets handed to the transfer agent and the transfer agent only ever sees the maximum limit of, uh, votes that can be handed in um but as a as a personal anecdote um i voted in um for in an agm and well i tried and i i couldn't none of my brokers would let me vote in an agm back in uh 2021 i believe uh and it had a 95 percent voter turnout um and if you consider the majority of europe probably also couldn't vote on this agm how how are we only representing five percent of the company uh it's like that couldn't access and then absolutely everyone else did it just it seems so unlikely um and that's really like one of the main reasons that spurred me to be like right i need to direct register because clearly these aren't my shares and these are not my votes or, or anything i have no rights here um so I, I take the DTC's claim that they eliminate risk of missed election on a corporate action with a probably a, a gallon of salt. Um, so the slang term, the slang term street name uh, is uh, basically the, the form of be beneficial holding that you have with CD and co specifically um, street name is, is doesn't exist outside of CD and co uh, it's all about, the brokers that you buy through that operate under CD and co and CD and co holds all the shares, uh, in their own name. Um, so the, uh, DTC holds the legal titles to, to the securities and the, uh, investor is the beneficial owner. Um, so the DTC isn't CD and co, but, CD and co is the nominee of the DTC. Uh, and this is needed when you're playing with pools of shares and making them fungible and exchangeable. Um, so there's a, there's a certain practicality to it, but uh, at the same time, it's kind of a bit uh, obscuring in terms of trying to find out who actually owns these shares. Um, so the DTC holds legal titles to the securities. That means they are the legal owners. They have all legal rights to them in a court of law. They are the only ones that can prove ownership of, of these shares. Um, and so unless you're direct, directly registered, you have no, uh, no, oh God, what's, what's, <laughs> you have no like recourse in a court of law, uh, basically, um, which is why all these class action lawsuits fail uh, or, or pay out in such a pittance. Um, so if uh, investors choose to move securities out of CD and Co's fault uh, and instead seek direct ownership, the direct registration system is used. Uh, securities are still held electronically or in book entry. Uh, and rather than information and communication traveling through the DTC to the broker, to the investor, or to through the DTC to a broker, to your broker, and then to you, uh, like there can be many layers. Sometimes even if you're working or using a broker that is a DTC participant, they might actually use a different broker for executions. Um, it, it, like as um, John Wooten was saying uh, last week, there can be seven to 11 people in between you and the market when you place a trade through a broker and all of them are taking a cut. Um, so it's, a lot more laid than even I can comprehend <laughs> with um, my ever so slightly non-smooth brain. It's still pretty smooth. Um, so 
the centralization uh, of the DTC uh, did present some improvement and less risk in settlement compared to the operations before its foundings in 1973, because as we were talking about uh, last week, they had a massive paperwork crisis uh, all like through the second half of 1968, but the paperwork crisis actually began in 1967. And in all that time, they had about $400 million worth of uh, like security stolen off the trading floor because they had such a backlog. They didn't know where anything was, and it was all done uh, through humans. There was no computer processing at that time, really, but they did start working well, actually, by 1973, there were some mainframe computers at certain brokers, usually the bigger ones, who then bought the other brokers, uh, and it kind of monopolized the market a bit. Um, so, yeah, uh, there, there were definitely improvements to be had, and the DTC did bring them and help pave the way for other improvements, uh, like decreased settlement times. But in the introduction and adoption of uh book entries, aka electronically recorded securities, it has become possible for transfer agents to communicate with investors just as efficiently as a broker, even the most highly paid brokers out there uh, with all the all, uh, all the bells and whistles, um, you know, transfer agents are just as, as good at communicating. They may not have as flashy a website, but they, they do everything else uh, just as good, if not better. Um, they they track the ledger of the issuer directly. This is the primary ledger uh, because it records all shares, including the ones that CD and Co holds. Then below that, you have CD and Co's ledger, which just records what CD and Co is aware of. Uh, and even then, they may not record beyond what they want to because they're a self-regulating organization, uh, and they they don't have to do what anyone tells them at the end of the day. Uh, but um, And then you have your broker's ledger, and they record exactly how many shares you own with the broker. doesn't mean they assign you those shares. It just means, oh, within our pool of, say, 1,000 shares, that person owns, owns 100, that person owns 600, that person owns 400, that person owns 300. And I, I'm sure all you guys with uh, basic maths are like, hang on, you went way over 1,000 shares there. Uh, and yes, I did. And that's because... <laughs> Uh, thanks to market makers uh, and, and uh, their kind of exemptions, they are al allowed to provide you 1,000 shares when they only have 200 to sell. Uh, and that's just part of their privileges um, as, uh, well, I don't, I don't think market makers are self-regulating organizations. They might be. Maybe, yeah, Charles, can you correct me if, if I'm wrong here? No, they're not. They're not specifically uh, self-regulating, but the they are liquidity providing. You know, so that that's some kind of a privilege provided to them with the expectation of, you know, it being a temporary uh, a temporary way to inject liquidity into the market where it's needed, with the expectation that, you know, if you have to make a short to provide liquidity, then you're going to be closing that out in due time. Um, of course failure to delivers and the uh, kind of way that it seems failure to delivers can be rolled over and have their, um, you know, have their windows reset over a period of time does make, does make that uh, maybe not the best system, but that is the system that they're operating under. Yeah. So uh, yeah, unfortunately it's a system that, that, Prides liquidity above everything else, including sustainability and integrity. Uh, and I don't mean moral integrity. I mean, like the uh, foundational integrity, the the. Um, oh, my God. I'm trying to think of the, the word infrastructure. That's the word. So the, the infrastructure is just so brittle from all this over leveraging uh, and kind of pushing the boundaries over and over again, which. Uh, seems to have been happening since the dawn of the market uh, because that's what created the Federal Reserve. That's partly what created the DTC. That's uh, what's created the market makers and their liquidity uh, like exemptions and everything like that. Um, I think um, that's a great transition kind of into the last major part of this second article here. Um, they're talking about the uh, prioritization of liquidity over market stability 
you know, we mentioned briefly earlier this 2004 ruling uh, where the DTC instruct uh, and the or either the SEC instructed that you know issuers could not uh, force investors to leave the DTC and to choose direct registration. What that came from uh, was uh, this whole kerfuffle with uh, CMKM, a company which in 2004 and earlier was concerned about. Uh, short sales, concerned about uh, trading stock and then the market far in excess of what they'd issued. And at the time, what they decided to do, and I'd highly recommend checking out Trimbath's uh, Naked, Short, and Greedy. Uh, Chapter 18 is all about this. But long story short, they tried to force investors to move out of uh, the depository trust and into direct ownership as a method of you know, exposing or forcing some movement on, uh, you know, what are all these extra shares doing and, uh, and trying to get to the bottom of it. And, you know, it was in the courts for quite a while, but ultimately at the end of the day, the, um, the ruling is pretty fascinating from the, uh, you know, the SEC kind of came to the, Oh, they got him again. Um, so yeah, it, it was basically about, uh, preventing the forceful removable, uh, of shares for, from the DTC and placing them in direct registration and, uh, which like is understandable because you may be forcing a choice on investors they may not want, but, uh, at the end of the day, the reasoning for doing it was because of much larger issues in the market, but unfortunately, uh, the, the, self-regulating organization the uh the dtcc decided they did no wrong uh and it was in fact the um the other side of it the individual investors the companies that were the problem same way that back with the panic of uh 19 whatever it was with the the birth of the federal reserve uh that happened because uh they over leveraged themselves so everyone was like well I want to make sure I have my money. That's it. I'm going to the bank tomorrow. I'm going to withdraw all my money from the bank. And they blame it. That was the the real reason the birth of the, the Federal Reserve happened, because they were terrified that people were going to take their money back. It wasn't about stealing their money. They had plenty of it anyway. But uh, because of that, they had to protect themselves from these from the vicious populace that wanted access to their, their money. How dare they? Um, so... Again, here we, we we're seeing a very similar uh, parallel, I'd say, even um, where uh, people wanted access to their shares because clearly what they had been sold to by brokers was not the real thing. And in fact, uh, not only that, but it was very likely that those shares that they paid for, if they were even delivered, were probably being used to then being uh, to then lend to short sellers or people on the other side of the trade on the short side of the trade rather than the long side. Um, but unfortunately since then, uh, even though the, the point of the ruling was to prevent forceful removal of shares from the DTC, it has scared almost everyone out of talking about DRS or advocating for it or promoting the idea or option of it. Um, like no company wanted to be caught out with a big lawsuit against uh, either the SEC or the DTCC because whether you're right or not, they will bankrupt you pretty much. Um, we've seen similar things happen uh, with other companies, um, which I'm not sure if we mentioned in this uh, article, but I think it's something that we brought up in the... Um, YDRS information packet that, that we shared with the SEC themselves and spoke to Gary Gensler about. Um, oh, it'd be, it's such a good reference. But basically, this company uh, was told by their broker, like, hey, you should short your shares. And they were like, no, we're not going to do that. The broker did it anyway. Uh, the The price of the company collapsed. And um, the the owners of the company were like, well, this wasn't on us what's going on here we want some answers and uh they they took them to court and by they i mean um i can't remember which institution it was but whatever institution took the company owners to court and bankrupted them uh 
even though the the company people were in the right, they were legally on the right side of, of the whole thing, but uh, they just couldn't afford the long legal process. So I can absolutely see why nobody wanted to fuck around and find out with promoting DRS uh, until now, really, until we got that clarified earlier this year by Gary Gensler himself saying, well, actually, yeah, if it's material to the investors, I don't see what the problem is about a company letting their investors know about direct registration. So uh, hopefully uh, the the stuff we're updating about every episode, this database, we can then take that to other issuers and get them to start reporting DRS numbers uh, and educating and then build that from there until it's as much of a advertised option as brokers as your robin hoods and whatever um and and hopefully in that trajectory block transfer will will be able to ride that wave too and and blockchain based transfer agents will be seen as a really uh appealing option um but yeah uh, i think to to round out this episode we'll go through some quotes here at the end of this article um and uh bah, bah, bah. so yeah i'll go through some of these quotes um but if anyone wants to ask a question or just come up and and have a chat uh pop your hand up and and we'll bring you up um so here here's a quote i believe is this this might be a comment letter from a comment letter um a small but growing number of issuers whose securities are registered under Section 12 or are reporting under Section 15D of the, the Exchange Act recently have restricted or indicated their intention to restrict ownership of their securities by prohibiting their transfer agents from acknowledging ownership of shares registered in the name of DTC or by prohibiting transfer of their securities to the DTC or in some cases to any securities intermediary. Um, so this is something that I think people have probably been hoping hoping their company would do uh, or the company they're invested in would do, like just restrict that access. But unfortunately, because of this uh, 2004 ruling, that is quite literally against the law. So, uh, and this, that's just one person express, uh, expressing they, their concern. They also went on to say, uh, issuers imposing this re- these restrictions, sometimes referred to as custody-only trading, frequently state that they are imposing ownership or transfer restrictions on their securities to protect their shareholders and their share price from naked short selling. These issuers believe that requiring all securities to be in certificated form and precluding ownership by certain securities intermediaries forces broker dealers to deliver certificates on each transaction and eliminates the ability of naked short sellers to maintain a naked short sale position, Uh, which, like, I mean, I can see how it would prevent regular short selling, uh, but in in the instance of naked short selling, you don't need the security in the first place to do the short sales, so it wouldn't surprise me if naked short selling would continue quite rampantly despite uh, a company doing that, to be honest. Uh, but I do like the phrase custody only trading. That's kind of like sim- sounds similar to P2P crypto trading, uh, which just isn't feels like a nice throwback to the heyday of uh, actual barter systems. And like, hey, I've got this and you've got that. Let's trade. How do you value this? How do you value that? And uh, you end up with a much more equitable kind of market. But um I just want to chime in here real quick, just to provide some more context about these quotes. Um, I hope I can get through the just mention real quickly. That's uh, cited in the article here. This is straight from the SEC, actually, not from uh, comment letters. These couple of quotes were the SEC providing some backing context for why the ruling in 2004 was needed. You know, this this was part of the uh, surrounding conversation that they had taken note of and that they were kind of giving lip to. But then this this very next quote that Bibbit can read is um, ultimately the bulk of it, uh, you know, the DTC's perspective and why they decided to go the direction they did when it came to this ruling. Yeah, I think I've got that quote. Oh, um, 
so uh, yeah, the uh, the DTC's argument was that uh, by purporting to exercise the rights of the shareholders, issuers are interfering with the legal and beneficial rights of the DTC and its participants. With respect to securities deposited at DTC and with DTC's obligations under Section 17A of the Act, um, so it was yeah liquidity uh, again had to be held above uh, ownership rights and uh, uh, protecting issuers and investors alike. Um, I think they go on to say furthermore, forced certification of securities is inconsistent with the industry goal, industry's goals of streamlining streamlining processing of securities transactions which i can understand but in 2004 i th- i don't think they were being forced to certificate maybe they were in cm cmk whatever the diamond company's name was um but you can uh push it into book entry aka electronically recorded shares with your with your transfer agents so um uh, certification shouldn't be coming into it at all, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, uh, and we've got some more quotes from from the SEC there. But I think we've kind of covered their point of view. Really, they they were just desperate to kind of shoot this down uh, in any way they could. And as you can see from the DTC's uh, angle on it, it's all about liquidity. Um, refusing us liquidity is is the worst thing you could possibly do. Um, they're, they're probably the argument about certification was probably the most solid thing, but even that falls flat when you, you think about it. Um, but I think uh, from there we can we can bring a couple people up. We've got Lawson, our good old pal Lawson in the queue. I'll bring you up first and then we'll get to you who's in a second. How are you doing, Lawson? Hey, good, thanks. Uh, very um, thorough job, guys. I really appreciate all the information. I'm curious, uh, it seems like when we're talking about certification and uncertified, like the natural thought is uh, uncertified is electronic and certification means like a physical copy. But there's suggestions to think that certification might mean something also a little different. Like I remember when I transferred some of or converted some of my plan shares to, to book at one time, uh, it said something about certification is, do you guys know? And I think um, six days is working on some stuff that maybe it, it suggests that it doesn't mean necessarily a physical stock certificate with the term certification. Um, does it, does it mean like it's tied to a jumbo um certificate of some sort could you guys clarify any of that do you have anything to add or is that still um being researched Uh, that's on our our long list of unanswered questions unfortunately uh from transfer agents we've tried to clarify at that point um i've i've also seen yeah it says plan certification when i convert my plan shares into book um or drs holdings and um it could be a few things i i'm not sure if it like it would surprise me if it does imply paper certificates or the only way that it could is if it was a holdover from when it would have been paper certificates or plan. And that was your only two options. Um, but it's possible that uh, the use of um, plan certification, the the certification of those shares might be that they're being certified as yours rather than being held with uh, the transfer agents nominee in the plan pool. Um mm. It's something that kind of peak under the hood. I'm hoping we can get that through John Wooten um, because even though he's dealing with blockchain and all this kind of stuff, I imagine he's seen a lot more under the hood of this kind of stuff and will be willing to talk about it than than a lot of people we've come across. So we'll add that to the list for sure. Very cool. Um, Thank you. No problem. Uh, And... Who? So I'm going to invite you up if you still want to come on up. Uh, and uh, but yeah, it's it's crazy. The the it could also it's just one of the things as well. Like the DTC and the DTCC, there are so many overlapping and similar phrases w- within all this, uh, and it's almost intentionally meant to be confusing or hard to learn. Um, it's it's creates a bit of a fence. Uh, around uh, this industry uh, that if you don't learn the lingo you can't get in 
Um, and for me, as someone who's very much outside of this industry, uh, like I've just learned about DRS. That's all I've bothered with because everything else is so convoluted and so easy to get lost in the weeds, which we have with DRS already uh, many times. But uh, I find it so much more worthwhile figuring this out versus the rest of the market. So uh, before we kind of wrap up or take any other questions, there's two quick things I hope I can cover before, um, you know, (laughs) two things I want to just cover quickly. So in that same ruling in 2004, you know, the SEC had the foresight to realize that um, restricting issuers ability to make the decision to uh, move shares out of the central depository, um, you know, they had to make sure that didn't come at the expense of individual investors freedom to seek the ownership if they wanted to. So, quote, they did say, quote, the commission is making clear that the rule applies only to restrictions or prohibitions imposed by issuers on transfers of their publicly traded securities to or from those security holders that are securities intermediaries and are not the ultimate beneficial owners. So long story short, they were saying at that time, you know, DRS is still okay. Seeking ownership is still okay. And then to that end, when uh, the DRS folks that, you know, when Bibik and I uh, and Miller met with Gary Gensler in April of 23, uh, we asked directly to him, you know, uh, just to make sure this 2004 ruling um, is just instructing that issuers can't force DRS, right? You know, the, the issuers can still uh, advertise DRS if they choose to, or uh, make sure that investors know it's an option or release information about DRS numbers. Uh, and Chairman Gensler did confirm that, you know, the only reason that issuers wouldn't be doing that is because they don't feel shareholders have a material interest in it and they don't feel it's worth, you know, maybe the effort or investment to share that or to, to get that ball rolling. So um, that's definitely part of the broader goal with the YDRS database is to show issuers not only that it's okay, but that there are benefits to investing and educating their investing populations. For sure. And I think as well, like the wider market needs to know about these numbers, uh, because if a company is DRS, you know, 50% or more, that's going to affect liquidity quite severely. Uh, and so everyone should know about that. Like it's, it just makes, well, you know, more, more, Democratic access to information makes everyone's life better, in my opinion. So um, I, I've just seen in the comments as well, Hoos's question, and it was about uh, how the short interest affects the ledger count. So um, when you're dealing with the primary ledger, the ledger, the uh, transfer agent slash company, um, they will only ever see the exact amount of shares that have been issued so say there's there's 305 million shares that have been issued that's exactly how many shares they will always see on their ledger then they'll never see more or less than that even if there is reported 20 percent short interest for example and more shares than exist uh do exist thanks to all this shorting and lending and uh, you know excessive liquidity um so it's possible uh, that uh, CD and Co's uh, ledger would then reflect the uh, extra however many million shares that that 20% would add on top of the 305 million. Um, uh, but at the end of the day, they're a self-regulating organization and uh, they don't have to write that down if they don't want to. <laughs> uh, and um I'd say it's more likely that the broker's ledgers would contain those counts uh, because they would be able to count all of the margin. They, they definitely pay much more attention to anyone with a margin account uh, because they, they love catching you out when, when you get into the red uh, and liquidating your, your assets for you. Um, so it, yeah, I'd be, I, I would say it's safe to say that the brokers would record those extra shares on their ledgers but then all of that gets truncated, similar to the way the proxy votes do by the time it reaches Seed uh, or CD and Co. Uh, and then uh, the transfer agent. Um, so it's it's a real blind box. As soon as you're out of the transfer agent, anything could be going on within CD and Co. Um, uh, 
and that's why I'm going to keep calling them CD and Co because uh, it's so CD uh, and uh, just completely obfuscated. So the complete opposite of what we were talking about, trying to de- democratize access to information. Um, so I hope that goes some way to answering the question. Uh, I, it's something I really wish we we knew more about, and uh, I hope we do learn more about as time goes on. I think uh, as we keep going and more people keep getting involved, um, we'll be able to keep raising a stink. And uh, and if they don't want to respond, keep DRSing shares, taking their our toys and going home until they, they realise they have nothing left and will have to come to the table and meet with us. So, uh, and if that doesn't work, then blockchain transfer agents, that's a, that's another great vector that this kind of um, uh, levelling the playing field could happen. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm excited for, for that on the 13th. Everyone should be marking that in their calendars. There's going to be some very interesting talk because this John Wooten is a guy who knows like everything that we do about DRS, about the corruption in the markets, about the issues with the excessive liquidity, and he's come at it from a completely different angle. Uh, so it's just so kind of magical that we've been able to meet someone who was on a completely different path but has reached the same destination. Um, yeah, very excited for that. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that's that covers us for, for today's episode of Taking Stock. Um, I hope it's been educational and helpful uh, for people who, who want to know more about the DTC and uh, kind of the its growth over the years since the 1970s and how DRS fits in there. Um, and yeah, uh, hopefully we'll, we'll be back next week with uh, even more kind of juicy educational nuggets for, for everyone. Um, and uh until then, I, I hope everyone has a has a lovely time with their families, whether you observe the holiday or not in America. Um, it's just a great time to be able to get, you know, a little bit of uh, practice in for eating way too much food before Christmas. So I, <laughs> I, I definitely uh, envy you guys for that part of it. I, I wish I could get two big meals like that in a year. Um, just all out blowouts with your... Yeah, with your yams and uh you know every veg all the trimmings and uh for, for me it's all about the stuffing I, I live for stuffing i'll just have i mean i don't know if you guys do it in america but in england we eat stuffing sandwiches like it's just a normal thing to have in a sandwich um <laughs> but uh anyway that's another tangent for everyone um yeah, I hope everyone has a great week and uh, we'll, we'll see you all again same time, same place next week. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, Bibic, as always. Thanks a lot, everyone, for stopping by and uh, have a great holiday. We'll see you next week.